Welcome back to the Duck Territory Podcast. Eric, happy uh, early 4th of July. Uh, we're recording this on the 2nd, but we'll probably put this out day before. So uh, happy 4th of July to you, sir. Well, happy 4th of July to you, and I'll, I will actually be seeing you on the 4th of July at Matt's wonderful uh, 4th of July party. So uh, uh, I will be able to say that to you again in a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, a lot of fireworks going on in the sports world right now. The opening is going on from a football recruiting standpoint. June was a heck of a month for the Oregon football program for recruiting. Uh, you and I have been kind of nerding out a little bit about the NBA free agency and, and oh, yeah. all the moves that have been going on there. Um, but we're going to, you know, there's still a lot to talk about, even though it's July 2nd as of this recording for Oregon football. Uh, we have got some stuff coming up. We're going to talk about kind of some defensive concerns, uh, early buzz on some of the newcomers that have arrived. We'll talk about Eric's uh, guest appearance on the Paul Feinbaum show. Uh, and, and based off of his story of, is the Oregon-Auburn game the biggest game of the decade in a non-conference regular season standpoint for the Oregon football program? Uh, but first, before we dive into today's show, let's uh, do the business that we need to get done. Uh, if you are not a VIP subscriber, you can sign up for the first 30 days for $1. 30 days, $1. Uh, or if you are a VIP subscriber, that's month to month and you're looking to save some money. Or if you're just ready to jump in and go all in for an annual subscription, you can get us uh, for $6.26 per month for your first year by signing up today with your annual subscription. So, Highly encourage you guys to go check things out at DuckTerritory.com. Now, Eric, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the newcomers that have arrived because what was it, early June or so? You 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 spoke with Mario Cristobal up at uh, Langdon Farms Golf Course uh, for a really random media availability. Uh, <laughs> it was, um, but he he did say that he was expecting uh, all of the remaining guys to be. Uh, that were part of the 2019 recruiting class to enroll into school, and there was no expected hiccups, right? Yeah, that's what he said on, I think it was on literally June 1st or 2nd, and yeah, it was at a golf tournament up in the Portland area, which was kind of, like you said, a a very random occasion. But yeah, he seemed really confident at the time. He was asked specifically also about Mace Funa and his mission and stuff, and he said basically everyone should be here, and everyone that's going to be here will be playing or, or eligible to play right away. So uh, there was a lot of confidence then and in, in the time since then, obviously, uh, it looks like he's been right. I don't, I mean, we've got everybody, I believe, in, enrolled into school from this class, unless I'm mistaken, Matt. And I think the only one is Jonah um, yeah. Tuanu, who's here in Eugene, but to my knowledge, hasn't enrolled yet. Why? We don't know. Yeah. Um, but he is here. He did, you know, he did arrive into Eugene, and I think he's either just enrolled now or maybe waiting until July. Uh, but yeah, everybody is from that 2019 recruiting class that was ranked seventh in the country and the highest rated class in program history. Uh, everyone now is in at least Eugene and that's, that's huge for the Ducks. Yeah. I think you can't, I mean, when you have a class like that, you want to get everybody here and the fact that they were able to do that. And obviously it sounds like there may be one kind of slight hiccup with Jonah, but just, just in, in the, encompassing the entire class to get everybody here during the summer. Most of the guys, almost half the guys were here for spring, which is huge. Um, that's, a, that's a big win to be able to, you know, it's one thing to recruit the guys to get them to sign. It's another thing to get them in role. And 
you follow the Chris Steele thing you and, and Brew McCoy and all this stuff, you know that full well. I mean, even getting them enrolled sometimes doesn't mean that much. But, uh, yeah, no, certainly a huge, uh, a huge storyline now is they're all here. You've started to see on social media some uh, images of them, uh, some of these guys working out. I think there are five or six of them uh, that I saw over Twitter over the last couple of days. So they are here. They're working out. I think you're getting an opportunity to see the body types of some of these, especially the defensive linemen. I was looking at Brandon Dorless and Christian Williams, just the photos they had, and you're like, these guys are big, and they yeah. look like they, they look like they move. Well, of course, it's hard to tell much from, like, three still images, but, like, the, 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 the photo test was like, okay, these guys look the part at least. Yeah, and that's that's half the battle is you want to look the part, and you have to have that size. And now we will say we heard we have heard some buzz. There is some some stuff I put up on the site on DuckTerritory.com about the newcomers, but I I prefaced it there, and I'll preface it here. Uh, they really haven't started seven on seven stuff yet. I mean, like full go. They're doing yeah. stuff with a football, but it's all without coaches. Uh, half the team still isn't isn't back into Eugene yet. Uh, you know, Justin Herbert spent last week uh, in uh, Louisiana for the Peyton Manning Passing Academy. Uh, a, a, a collection of the guys were overseas and study abroad programs. Uh, a couple of them uh, were running some camps for youth as volunteers across the state. Um, you know, so so the team is kind of spread out right now. Some of them are in summer schools. Some of them are doing camps. Some of them are, are you know, having an opportunity educational-wise to to kind of get away from from football as a short, I guess, maybe you know, educational vacation, if you will. I think like Jordan Scott, I think went to like France or something like that. Yeah. Um, and and so the team isn't all here. So it's not like everybody is meeting at at the fields at four o'clock uh, Monday through Friday to to do team workouts and you know without. But play, basically, they're called player-run practices, and so you know those things are going on. The player-run practices are going on, but it's not full strength yet, just because everyone's not here. And you know, quite honestly, if Justin Herbert's not at you know a, a, a team player-run practice, it's not a player-run practice yet because he's like <laughs> the most important guy. Uh, but so I, I want to say that. But early returns are that there are some guys in this 2020 class that have looked, you know, the part. And you kind of felt like they were, uh, you know, going to do it. But until they got on the football field and, you know, started moving around the newcomers, you know, you didn't know. And obviously this, this isn't with pads and that, you know, once pads get put on and once actual football starts being played, the game changes again. Uh, you know, but early returns are that, you know, Mace Funa has, has slimmed down, a guy that was, uh, suffered a knee injury his senior season and really put on a lot of weight and sounds like he, he slimmed down a little bit and he's kind of become maybe the alpha of the 2019 recruiting class. Uh, he's a four star inside linebacker, a guy that's going to help Oregon, you know, immensely. Uh, another guy that's, that's made some big impressions and, you know, a couple guys, or I should say two of them that, that were looked at as basically kind of throw, not throwaways, but late ads that were just kind of, oh, maybe they're, They'll be in you know, solid depth down the road, but looking like athletically, agility, you know, physically, they could help right away as defensive tackles, Kristen Williams and defensive end, Brandon Dorless, two guys that, like you said, Eric, when they showed up to, 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 to move in day and started doing their first couple of workouts with the coaches of, you know, from an agility standpoint, from the player standpoint, everyone talked about, wow, they're, they're physically there. They could help right away. 
Well, like with Dorless, he was listed because I went back and looked because he was listed at 260 when he signed, and the pictures I saw, that kid's not 260 pounds. There's no way. <laughs> There's no way. He's got. He's probably closer to 285, 290 than he is 260. And again, with the question marks they have, especially kind of looking for a backup to Jordan oh, Scott, who, by the way, it looks like graduated already in three years, um, based upon images I saw, which is a, a, a huge accomplishment for him. Um, but they need depth behind him. And if Dorless, maybe he's not a, a prototypical nose guard and maybe Christian Williams isn't either, but like if those guys are like big enough and good enough to fill in, like that's huge because they need guys there and they need guys at the other end spots too. Like, Defensive line, they bring back a lot of guys, but there's, like, nobody they bring back besides Scott and, I guess, Austin Fowley, who's kind of been, like, sort of up and down, who are, like, really proven, proven players. Like, Drayton Carberg and Gus Cumberlander have had moments, but there's certainly opportunity for these young guys to step in. And I, um, and maybe, maybe like, I did a uh, the, the incoming guys, if they're going to redshirt or not story. Maybe I overlooked the defensive lines. I don't think I had any, any one of those guys, like, locked in that, oh, he's going to play. It's not impossible, maybe, that, like, Three or four of those guys actually see the field a little bit this like right yeah, away. I I think the right way to describe the defensive line returners besides uh Jordan Scott are guys that maybe they haven't officially shut the door that, that they own a spot. Yeah. Like like they've they've done some nice things and they've you know, they've had their moments, but they they aren't the lock or the you know, the shoe in for that X position. You know, like the door is still open for someone for a newcomer to come in and and take a spot. And I think maybe Austin Folio is probably the closest guy next to the group to yeah. have that distinction of hey he's you know he's going to be a starter no, no matter what. But I think everybody else you know it, it, there's a very good chance they start. There's a very good chance that they're the second or third string defensive lineman. Yeah, and we'll probably that's not to say they're bad. No, it's not bad at all. I actually think you're, you're seeing the depth there is like way better than it's been in a while. Like if, if Gary Baker and Drayton Carlberg end up being your like fifth and sixth best defensive lineman, that's not like a bad scenario in my mind. I think those are pretty good collegiate players. Um, and I don't think it would be shocking if that's the case. I mean, Scott's probably going to be the best guy. Kayvon has the upside to be the second best guy. And you mentioned follow you. You mentioned some of these other freshmen. Like it's not totally out of the realm of possibility that by the end of the season, like I said, like Carberg and Baker are like kind of back end of your second unit guys. And for seniors of that kind of experience, that's not necessarily an awful thing to then be able to transition to next season with maybe a guy like Dorless or Williams or Poti or, or Hudson Ware as guys that are maybe set to really take over the position fully the following season. Now, one other guy before we move on that's kind of generated some discussion or some impressions of uh, being you know, better physically, athletically than expected. Um, and this is a guy that you wrote a, a really good in-depth story when he committed and signed was Trevin Maiai, um, a defensive end from Bishop Corman High School. Uh, the word out of the early workouts is that he's just this physical freak, athletic freak. That you know, six foot four, two hundred forty, two hundred fifty pound defensive end. Kind of maybe light for for that size, but a guy that his agility's skill set is just through the roof, apparently. Yeah, I remember speaking with, and I'm trying to remember the name of the coach here, but his his final coach because he, he transferred a little bit, but his final coach over at Bishop, and, and I'm trying to remember the name of the coach. I think it was something Johnson. I can go look it up later, but he just basically said the same thing. It was all about kind of putting on the weight for my my because he 
stood out. So I think he had like the quickest shuttle or something for the entire Bishop Gorman team, and that's a pretty good that's football really program. Good. And there's there's going to be some guys there that are really you know explosive and like he had I think it was yeah he had like the best shuttle or something and and it's not I don't think shocking that it carried over but maybe the weight thing is what's surprising because even when I spoke I think it was back in right after he signed or right before he signed in December but it it was kind of like he's like two twenty five two thirty I think he signed and he was listed at two twenty five so if he's up in the two forty range that's significant and again like. We're talking about this defensive line group. That guy could be a rush end specialist right away. And maybe he's a guy that plays on passing downs as just a guy you put out there with, with Kayvon and Cumberland. Or maybe you go with like a smaller group and it's just a rush group. And maybe he's one of those guys that factors in. Now let's, let's change topics here for a minute. Let's shift gears. Uh, you went on the Paul Feinbaum show Monday which was July 1st, to discuss your story about Oregon and Auburn meeting up for the season opener for 2019. And you argued that Oregon versus Auburn was the biggest non-conference game in 2010, or in, in the last decade. Yeah, right? for, or- yeah for, for, for Oregon. Oregon. And, and also to clarify, because there are people on, on Twitter especially that didn't seem to, it was, I'm talking about preseason, like early, early games. I'm not concluding bowl games. I yeah, think regular obviously- season non-conference games. Yeah, obviously the national championship games Oregon played in are more significant and probably, that's, that's like, I mean, that's like pretty obvious. I, it's like, I, I'd be completely, I don't know, like I'd have to be really dense to think otherwise. But I don't I, know, man, that Wyoming game is way more important <laughs> than the uh, 2015 national championship. Yeah, you, you could probably make a really competitive, you know, compelling argument. It was Josh Allen who was a higher drafted quarterback. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, basically what I'm getting at here is like, it's, it, the LSU game in 2011, and if you read the story, you're kind of familiar with it. I'll run through it for those who aren't familiar. And then the 2014-15 games against Michigan State, those are three better opponents. Those teams were ranked higher when Oregon – well, I don't think – we don't know what Auburn's going to be ranked, but they won't be ranked in the top ten when they release the polls. I think that's pretty safe to say. And those other three teams were. Those other three teams also played in either the college football playoff, the Cotton Bowl, or the national championship game. So those are really good teams. So I'm not arguing that Auburn's going to be better, but I just think for the significance of – Currently, Oregon really needs an opportunity to kind of prove themselves on the national level, and this is an opportunity to do that. In those other seasons, they'd already been coming off of seasons where they had either played in the national championship or were considered national championship caliber teams. And so those games were like games that people felt like Oregon could really be competitive in. And I don't think people don't think Oregon can be competitive in this game, but I think there's a little bit of like they need to go out and prove it. And that was kind of what I was getting at in the story is, if they go out and win this game, I think it changes not just the perception of Oregon this season, but maybe of Oregon going forward under Mario Cristobal because going out and beating Auburn, which is a pretty recognizable SEC brand, I mean, that's one of the more recognizable teams in the country. That's probably on top 10, top 12 in terms of visibility. That would be significant, I think. And I think people would be really excited about it. And then the flip side, and this is why I think it's also important, is if they lose – I think the perception of Oregon in the Pac-12 is once again going to be uh, the Pac-12 just can't compete. And whether or not whether that's fair or not, and I, I think it probably isn't totally. That I think is what would happen is if Oregon goes out there and say they lose like 27 to 10 or something like that, and it's just not impressive. And I think that people would start being like, well, Oregon's not making the playoff, and well, the Pac-12 probably doesn't have a team that's going to make the playoff just because we saw that a little bit last year with Washington against Auburn. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's definitely going to be. There's a ton riding on this game, and I, I agree with you. I, I don't know if 
I'll, I will go and say, as far as saying this is the biggest game in the last decade. But at the same time, I don't know if there's, a, if there's a bigger game that easily trumps this. I mean, and from a non-conference perspective, I mean, 2014, the Michigan State game, mm-hmm. like that maybe comes to mind, but we knew Oregon was good. And, exactly. And, and we knew that they were going to be a, a, a college football playoff contender. It's just that they had to win that game to continue that that chance, you know, or you know, to, to give them a, a safety valve if they lost one game in the conference in the, in Pac-12 play. Um, in 2015, the Michigan State game, like we knew Oregon was going to be good that year. Um, LSU in 2011, like we knew Oregon was going to be good. They were, you know, they, I don't know what Oregon's going to be like. I think they're going to be good. Yeah. I, I think they could be a dark horse college football playoff team, but I don't know that. And so that's why I agree that this game has so much significance on – there's a lot on this game that's writing. I, I think there's a lot for Oregon's 2019 football season. There's a lot for the Pac-12's 2019 season. Uh, there's a lot for Mario Cristobal and his, I guess – Reputation, or you know, what he his image for, as the head coach of the Oregon football program, uh, Justin Herbert, and you know, does Eric? I mean, is this what would be a, a bigger win that he has currently? Washington, Michigan yeah, I State. I mean, I, I don't think so. Yeah, no, this would be marquee, absolutely, for Justin Herbert and and for the program here and. and there's nothing that really compares to it. And again, I think just from like a competitive balance thing, and maybe this ties into recruiting almost a little bit, but I think if Oregon can go into the, go out and beat an SEC team on a big stage like that and prove that they're capable of winning those games, that'll go a long way because I'm sure you, you look, and we talked about this a lot on the podcast, but you look around the way things are going and the recruiting on the West Coast right now, and a lot of the kids are looking East. And I'm sure a lot of that's being, well, the Pac-12 can't compete. They're not good enough, blah, 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 blah. Oregon goes out there and actually beats Auburn, and maybe they beat them like sort of dis- decisively, like maybe yeah. by, maybe it's 27-10 Oregon wins. I think that's going to like kind of flip that narrative a little bit, you know, in terms of the recruiting chatter of, oh, you guys can't really play with us. You're not the SEC is like a diff- different level. You guys are minor leagues. This is the kind of stuff that you sort of see, at least from fans and stuff on to- on social media. I I would think a lot of that would quiet down a little bit, and that could be significant for Oregon not only in getting kids in the SEC region of the country, but also in like retaining some of these kids who I think on the West Coast have kind of been taught recently that, oh, you're not really playing at the highest level if you're playing the Pac-12. You're playing kind of secondary football. You got to go to the SEC or the ACC for that. I think you could quiet them up a little bit with the win. I think there's also some of that going on from within the conference as well. I mean, Washington right now is is telling recruits, don't go to Oregon because one, we win the conference we win the big games too. We're putting more people in the, into the NFL than Oregon is. And, you know, so going out and beating Auburn and then having the type of season that they like have of going, I don't know, 11 and one, maybe they go 12 and 0 and they don't lose any game in 2019 and they make the college football playoff. That shuts everything down from yep. you can't go to Oregon and compete for a conference championship because we're going to be the favorites every year. Mantra that could come out of out of Washington that ends, and you know, there's only a couple things left that Mario Cristobal has to overcome as a head coach until it's kind of like, well, he's proven everything. There's really nothing that you can't negatively say about the program. And 
I think the two biggest ones are you need to have this team win on the road and win big games individually and win the conference. Those are the only two things really that he has left to accomplish at Oregon. As crazy as that sounds in just one year. Yeah, I, I, yeah, there probably are other smaller things, but you're right in terms of like, and I, I mean, the about drafting this. stuff is, is, is something that has to overcome, but he can point to what he did at Alabama. Sure. Yeah. And I, I talked about a little bit about this on the podcast with, or the interview with, with Paul Feinbaum about just about how, what he, what, what kind of needs to, what's his perception right now. And I think right now, like his approval rating, I think is probably really, really high amongst Oregon fans. Like we haven't pulled this recently, but every, every, you know, you go out and look on social media. I think people think very highly of what Cristobal is doing. I think the only looming concerns are, are things in the football field in terms of can they win these big games? Can they win the conference? And I think you're right. This is like the perfect season. And then that Auburn game is the perfect game to go out and prove Cristobal's kind of vision for the program. Because if they go out and they beat Auburn, that provides stability and confidence um, kind of around uh, just the program about what they can do on the big stage. And if they go out and win the conference, that kind of proves like, hey, we can be the big boys on the West Coast again which they haven't been really in about five years. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, now let's, let's dive into – we did this last podcast, Eric, where we looked at the um, concerns from an offensive standpoint and – or maybe just, I don't know if concern is the right word, but just, you know, things we're looking to see yeah. uh, with this group. And let's now look at the defensive side of the football. Um, I will let you go first since I went first last time. Oh, my gosh. How generous of you. Thank you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie it back into the defensive line that we were just sort of having a conversation about. And I, I think if we're pivoting it from being a concern more to being like a thing we're curious about seeing – that's kind of that's sort of where I'm at with this is I think Oregon on the defensive line I think they're actually gonna be pretty good I, I I would be really surprised if they're bad because I think Jordan Scott is probably an all he's an all conference caliber player I think Kayvon Thibodeau could be all conference freshman of the year defensively I don't think that would be shocking given that he's the highest rated recruit coming into the conference obviously I think that we mentioned guys like Drayton Carberg, Gary Baker, Gus Cumberlander, uh, Austin Fialu, I almost forgot his name. Those are like four guys that are like pretty experienced, like pretty capable, sort like to a certain extent proven in big moments. I mean, Carberg and Cumberlander probably haven't played as much as some of the other guys, but they were bigger probably in big moments last year than the other guys. But it comes down to kind of filling out this depth. And like we talked about earlier, again, this is piggybacking a little bit, but I'm not going to be shocked at all if, we see some of these true freshmen that we're already hearing positive things about that Joe Salave, to his credit, identified and recruited and then signed. 
come out and, and perform really well and maybe t- overtake what is a pretty veteran group with, I think, three seniors and, and a couple of juniors. So that would be one thing I'll be keeping an eye on in terms of the defensive line is just kind of like we were saying earlier, how does this all play out? Is it going to be a, is it going to be, you know, five of the six top guys are all veterans or is it going to be a situation where it's only a couple of these top guys are veterans and it's a bunch of young guys? I, I agree with you. I think there's, I think there's a lot of intrigue with the defensive line and mine, mine also sticks with D line, but more specifically just that nose tackle because yeah. I got, I got a lot of confidence in the fact that a guy like Gus Cumberlander, Kayvon Thibodeau, Drayton Kralberg, Awesome Falio, uh, a couple other guys that they've signed in the 2020 class, whether that be Trevor Maiai or Brandon Dorless, uh, Isaac Townsend, Christian yeah. uh, you know, Williams, Wapodi, you know, Mason, uh, Kayon Ware Hudson, uh, Mason's his brother. Uh, some of those guys are gonna, are going to emerge and are going to become you know, contributors and the defensive line at the end is going to be, it's going to be fine. My, and this is maybe like a, a two year worry, but <laughs> I just see a scenario here for nose tackle where Jordan Scott goes absolutely bananas on the football field in 2019, declares early for the NFL draft because he's now graduated and goes pro. Sione Kabe graduates and Oregon is left with Popo Amabe as a as a junior in, t- in the 2020 football season when Popo has had two years of injuries and we don't know what he's going to be like as a redshirt sophomore for Oregon and you now have this huge gapping hole at nose tackle. I mean that yeah that is concerning to me. So I for me it's who emerges at nose tackle so, and gives Oregon some kind of an idea of what they have for the 2020 football season. Because from a recruiting standpoint in 2020, there really isn't any like bonafide five-star nose tackle that's instantly day one starter level caliber recruit that's looking at Oregon. So it's going to have to come from somebody that's either on the roster right now as a defensive tackle or one of the true freshmen that's going to have to kind of emerge. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that 100% that that's a huge concern. And, and I agree also with the fact that I expect whoever that replacement for Scott will be is somebody currently on the roster just because Oregon hasn't really addressed that much on the recruiting trail. And the, you know, and, and maybe there's guys that they're going to, that were, that were secretly in on that we're not aware of. I just don't see anybody out there that it's like, Oh, if that guy comes in, like you said, Oh, that guy's going to start right away. Um, you know, there's not like, there isn't really an heir apparent. I think that's the thing at that position, which is obviously so important. That's sort of concerning. Um, I'll, I'll move on to my second thing, and, and that's going to be, what do they do with Mikhail Wright at corner? We, last time we saw this team playing, he was maybe the most impressive player, period, in the scrimmage. I don't know. He, he had the game-sealing interception. He had a couple of touchdown-saving pass deflections as well. Like, he was everywhere. And yet he enters the fall, I think, as at best, like, the third corner and, and maybe the second nickel guy. I mean, it's just he's so clearly talented. And you clearly are going to want to play him this season. It's just where, where does he fit in? Because I guess I wouldn't be shocked at all if he ends up at some point starting games for Oregon, but I don't know who he's displacing to do that. I, I don't think he's going to play safety or anything. He's not big enough to do that. So it's going to have to be corner or nickel. And I, you know, he, Oregon returns two really, really good starting corners in Thomas yeah. Graham and Diamond Lenore. I don't see him fully beating them out. And if he does, 
maybe that's a really, really good sign for the, for what that position is going to look like going forward in terms of the talent. But, um, I think that's going to be, I, I'm very curious to see how that all plays out. I, I just think his talent is, is pretty undeniable and he's going to have to be a factor this year. It's just, I don't necessarily know exactly how that happens. It's really funny. Um, this happens to us all the time, Eric, and we don't, we don't sit down and kind of map, we, we map out the show, but we don't like share our, our opinions on these topics that we're going to discuss because we want to save it for the podcast. And <laughs> oftentimes we have very similar answers. And this is another one of those deals because just like defensive line, I said nose tackle in the Pacific. Uh, you're saying cornerback and kind of how does Michael Wright fit into it? I'm looking more so at the safety and DB position as a whole because I yeah. look at it as a worst case scenario. Thomas Graham is a junior. He could go pro. Diamond Lenore is, is a junior. He could go pro. Uh, Javon Holland is a sophomore and he can't go pro after this season, but, in, and after the 2020 football season, he could go pro. And after the 2020 season, Nick Pickett and Brady Breeze also graduate. And those are, you know, that's your entire basically two deep across the board, uh, from a starting perspective at cornerback gone in either the next one or two football seasons. And so I look at just the overall landscape of who kind of emerges as these guys, as these key backups, you know, is it McKeel Wright at one of the cornerback spots? Where does Ron McKinley, the third fit in? Uh, who is going to be the backup to, to Javon Holland? Because it's very evident to me within one year that Holland has NFL potential. And he, I mean, it's to the point in my mind, he's definitely going to get drafted as a senior. Now it just becomes, does he go pro as a junior a year early or does he stay all four years? And then Pickett and Breeze are, are both juniors. So while I don't think either of those guys is uh, a player that's going to go pro early, you lose them in two years. And who, who backs, you know, that's your starter and your backup. Who's, Who's going to emerge at that spot? So for me, it's kind of finding what you have in the secondary outside of your starters. Because in the Pac-12, as we know, every team basically throws the ball a ton, except for Stanford. But even then, Stanford has like six six receivers and tight ends, uh, or tight ends posing as receivers. Um, and so you're going to need to have talent there to deal with those guys. Everyone else basically will put a lot of stress on your secondary. So what do you have? behind your four starters. That's my biggest concern uh, with the secondary. I'm, I'm going to say, I think we were only doing two concerns each, right? Yes. I just thought, but like, here's an overarching thing we should maybe discuss really briefly. Sure. Just of like, we don't still know exactly what Andy Avalos' defense looks like and how that works from a personnel perspective. So like a big question, I guess, that I have still is like, is it is it a 3-3-5? Is it like a 3 uh, or is it a three-two? Like, what, what exactly yeah. is the formation of it? And be, I mean, I asked this because you mentioned Bro McKinley, and it dawned on me like he was basically an every-down player this spring at nickel. Is that going to continue to be the case? Will the stud linebacker be out there all the time? Like, what what does that do? And I think we either talked about the podcast. I know I've written about it, but like, what does that do for Lamar Winston and Adrian Jackson and Andrew Johnson and some of these guys that were like guys that look like they were set to possibly start at um, at outside linebacker this year? Do they still have a position? Because those aren't really the stud body types. At least they weren't the guys working really primarily at stud this spring. It was like DJ Johnson and, and Bryce Young. So, or Bryson Young. So I, 
I'll be very curious to see how that all plays out. And I think that could have direct impacts to some of these questions you have about the, the, the secondary going forward, because if they're going to have five guys out there all the time, which kind of is what it looks like, that could be pretty interesting to kind of follow and see develop with a guy like Verona Kinley, who looks like that sort of his position. So I, we still have a lot of question marks about what the defense is going to look like, I think, from a base perspective. And then like what other packages, how are they going to utilize these guys? Because we, the more I talk about this, you go like, there's a bunch of different weapons Oregon has. I'll be very curious to see how that's all executed from Andy Avalos' perspective. Well, it's funny because when you talk about um, formations and kind of what's Oregon's base defense, like I go back to a spring interview um, with Andy Avalos, and maybe it's just Avalos being super coy because it's spring football and none of this matters, and he doesn't want to, you know, I guess eliminate a lot of summer prep work uh, for the Oregon's opponents of studying his Boise State film and seeing what they were going to do. Um, but I remember Oregon Live's uh, James Krapia talking w- with us. Uh, I think we were both there and a bunch of other media members with, with Avalos. And James was, you know, what? how do you define your base defense? And Avalos' was, answer was basically uh, multiple fronts. And James was like, yeah, but when – when you open practice, like what's what's that that you know that, that that starting defense that you work with multiple fronts, but you have to have one like you have to have a base defense. It's like yeah, it's multiple fronts. Like I mean, maybe it's as simple as that. I mean, maybe maybe Avalos is is being genuine and and 100 truthful there, and that they're always going to be just shifting and kind of being in an amoeba type defense where we just kind of will will run with our best 11 and how, how that best matches up against our opponent that week. Or, or maybe, Matt, they're going to line up like two different sets of defensive line, like at different parts of the field, and they're going to have two different fronts. <laughs> no, I think – I no, but I, I recall that as well. And, yeah, it, it does sort of feel like – certainly they're not tipping their hand at all. And, like, through spring it felt like it was a 3-3-5, but, like, I wouldn't be shocked at all if we get out there to the opener against Auburn and it looks completely different. And that would probably be to their advantage, and that's one of the advantages of bringing in a new defensive coordinator where there's not any like game film really to work off of, at least at his new at his new school. So I think I think we're all going to be kind of almost in for a bit of a, a treat and a surprise when Auburn and Oregon meet on August 31st, because I'm going to guess we're still not going to have full clarity of what they're doing defensively, and that's probably for the for the best of the program and the team. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be fun. Uh, a couple things to look forward to down the line. We've we've got Pac-12 media day, Eric, as crazy as it sounds, in 22 days. Yeah. Wow. Fall camp probably starts. We, we don't have an official date yet, but fall camp probably starts in about a month. Mm-hmm. So we are almost there. Oh, and, and real quick before you get off the show, um, this is the last month without college football until February. We are almost there. Uh, how, how, yeah, we also have 31 days in August or something. But, yeah, no, you're not, That's you're not wrong. That's for Oregon football. That's for Oregon football. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. There, no. There are games played in the 20s in the of 20s August. Month. I know. It's it's super it's super wild to think about. But about 50 days away from college football. We are. And it's coming up really, really fast. And like you said, we have, like, actual dates coming up that are significant. Like, the month of June, I looked at the calendar and I was like, oh, there's, like, a couple of camps and Mario might be speaking at a golf course. But that was, like, all I had on the calendar. July, it's like 24th media day, 27th Saturday Night Live. A couple days after that, you, like you said, probably going to be the start of, of fall practice. So 
it's like it's among us. It's it's no longer a couple months away, really. You know, it it feels like we're really closing in on the start of actual kind of football stuff going on, and it's exciting. It's because it's you can only really we can only sit and talk on podcasts for so long about like what we expect to happen. It's gonna be really nice when we can actually like reflect on things we've actually seen with our own eyes for once. Yes, <laughs> yes, very much so, very much so. All right, so uh, make sure to go to iTunes or whatever podcast. Uh, app you use to listen to these shows please give us a review it helps us uh be seen by more people uh give us a review give us a rating um share the podcast and most importantly go to duckterritory.com uh if you do not subscribe you can get your first month for a dollar 30 days for one dollar you can't beat that anywhere else or if you're ready to jump in from annual subscription or if you're a, a month to month and you're looking to save some money uh some considerable money uh, you can switch to an annual, and your first year will come out as $6.26 a month uh, for 12 months. So that, that's a really good deal as well. So for Eric and myself, Matt, thanks for listening to the Duck Territory Podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Have a great 4th of July.